Thanks for tuning into Organic Matters. We're going to go into some little kind of semi-esoteric stuff today, but things I think you need to think about uh, if you really are want to be conscientious about the food you eat and still be conscientious about the planet we live on. Kind of begin with being a conscientious eater means, of course, that you care not only about your own health and that of your family, but also about the impact of your food choices on others and the planet itself. Dozens of different third-party certifications are used on food packaging and products. So depending on your budget and the things that you care most about supporting, certain ones may be worth the extra cost. The United States Department of Agriculture, USDA folks, has an organic label that is arguably, at least at this point in history, the most rigorous backed certification in the whole marketplace. It's not perfect, but it checks a lot of the boxes. According to the USDA, the practices that distinguish organic agriculture include maintaining or enhancing soil and water quality, conserving wetlands, woodlands, and wildlife, and avoiding the use of synthetic chemistry or the use of sewage sludge, irradiation, and genetic engineering, not to mention, of course, all the commercial chemical fertilizers that are out there now. Organic processes contribute to the soil, crop, and livestock nutrition, pest and weed management, attainment of production goals, and conservation of biological diversity. Among a portfolio of practices, managing pests and weeds is a major difference between conventional and organic production. So pesticides, insecticides, and herbicides are at the, should be, the leader of your considerations in deciding between the two, conventional industrial and organic production methods. Conventional industrial agriculture is characterized basically by maximizing the yield of crops above all else, doing so through energy-intensive farming practices and synthetic chemicals, eh, the fertilizers, for instance, at the expense, unfortunately, of the surrounding environment. By contrast, rather than using chemicals with abandon, organic farmers first work to prevent and avoid pests, insects, and weeds, and then, if need be, suppress them through approved substances, usually that are biologically able to be broken down naturally over time in the environment. I've had to give kind of a general rule, just remember, substances that are naturally derived or allowed, whereas most synthetic substances are prohibited. And there's kind of a few exceptions in both directions. And I want to kind of say here, not that being made by humans automatically makes them bad, but it's worth noting that conventional agriculture has at its disposal at least 900 approved synthetic herbicides, pesticides, and various synthetic soil additives. Whereas, basically, as of this reading, the organic agricultural business has about 25. All told, organic farms host more biodiversity, think of everything from bees to butterflies, release fewer greenhouse gases, Yields vary, but can certainly be less than non-organic in some cases, 
more than conventional in others. This can lead for the need to use more farmland to grow the same amount of food. That may be a potential drawback if you don't have the land, but bear in mind, when you use the land organically and properly, you actually improve the land as you go along, rather than deplete it. So in general, organically grown produce means significantly less exposure to pesticides and herbicides, and therefore have far lower risk of long-term reproductive, cognitive, or cancer-related health problems that have been tied directly to a number of the chemicals used in conventional agriculture. I just want to mention here a few of the more toxic herbicides and pesticides that we know about. Remember, we got 900 we could talk about. That's an unbelievable number. But a few of them stand out, and the test of time has shown they are certainly not really healthy for humans in the long run. As sort of a general statement, the type of chemicals that appear to be the most toxic are in a group of chemicals called organophosphates. And a recent investigation by the EPA, it led to the conclusion that one such chemical, chlorpyrifos, which incidentally is used right now in at least 50 different crops, from broccoli and cauliflower to apples and oranges, and has been linked to acute illness among farm workers and rural residents exposed to it and to more severe long-term problems, especially for babies and children, such as lower IQ, lower birth rate, and developmental delays. And the EPA just said, hey, it needed to be banned, so they banned it. But then was once again to be used or allowed to be used when, when Trump took over for his four years. Now we've banned it again. So I hope this time it sticks. It just remains to be seen. But regardless, we'll all want to steer clear of it. Believe me, this is where organic gets to be important. Thankfully, use of these chemicals has already started to, be, to decline. It's, it's, we're making it happen. So their prevalence is not as high as it once was and should sort of become less and less a problem pretty quick as it, as it gets through and is no longer allowed to be used on our crops. Unfortunately, there's a second chemical that we've since come up with, that we've known about, now we're studying it, and it's a neonicotinoid, is the fancy word. And these chemistries are also proving to be just as hard on the environment as some of the older chemicals that we finally got smart enough to get out of our everyday food chain. Here I want to mention an herbicide that probably most all of you have heard of because it's been in the news for a decade. It's the most widely used herbicide in conventional agriculture in the whole world, but especially here in the United States. It's called glyphosate. Back in 2015, it was dubbed a probable human carcinogen by the International Agency on Cancer Research. Most recently, in a very public court case against Monsanto, which did own it, now Bayer owns it, they're a giant chemical company that produced herbicides containing glyphosate called Roundup for decades. Uh, Roundup and Ranger Pro are the two trade names that you would see it under. A San Francisco groundkeeper won nearly $300 million by demonstrating that exposure to glyphosate from spraying in his job significantly contributed to his life-threatening non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. There's now thousands of lawsuits going right in that direction. From what we now know, when it comes to exposure through food, the people at the highest risk are women 
and men, trying to conceive pregnant women and children. A few studies suggest that compromised fertility and in utero or early childhood development exposure to organophosphates has been associated with damage to the brain and nervous system, as well as a somewhat newly found problem. Uh, It contributes to attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Everybody now calls it ADHD. Unfortunately, there's a lot we still don't know about pesticides and health. This is especially true of the really long-term cumulative effects of exposure to residues in food, even if they're present at very low levels at any one given time. Plus, questions abound from many environmental groups and farm worker advocacy groups about the synergistic effects of pesticides used together and how that could affect overall health risk. And for my two cents, given the historical track record in the United States, folks, of finding out only years later that things long allowed in the food supply were actually bad for us, I argue for the better safe than sorry approach. While keeping a level head, we still need to think down the road, and we are not very good at that, even about our own health. Let's just go in here with some very simple ideas. I want to just give you a one sentence or two sentence thought about. And that's five ways that I've come up with to waste less food at home. One of the first things I learned when I was trying to get more conscientious about it is always use a shopping list. Make a list before grocery shopping. It's really an obvious, simple, and kind of highly effective way to know what you're going for. Yet surprisingly, few people actually use one. Those who do are less likely to succumb to impulse buys. Also, before you check out at that register, take a moment to review every item in your cart and make sure you have a plan to use whatever you bought um, actually in a reasonable amount of time. And while I certainly do enjoy my red meat, I want to say here, of all the things not to waste, red meat is probably the most important. Not all food waste has the same impact on the planet. Tossing an uneaten hamburger wastes the water equivalent of taking a 90-minute shower. People do not realize that. For a tomato, it's more like four or five minutes. Big difference. So in terms of lowering your carbon and water footprints, especially if eating less red meat feels like a tough lifestyle adjustment, not wasting the red meat you do purchase is a really great place to start. What counts As red meat, well, of course, meat from mammals, which in the United States is usually beef, pork, or lamb. Just another reason to think about it before you buy it. I'll just throw this in real quick. Just a couple more things. I'm not going to, but love your leftovers. Really do. Think about them. Even take a day or so. We do that here at this house to make sure, in essence, we're cleaning out that refrigerator or that that fruit or a vegetable bowl before it starts going around to the bad side, I call it. And one way to do that is make your foods visible. Your fruits and vegetables are usually wasted because they get sitting somewhere and nobody gets to them till it's too late. Just make sure they don't get pushed back in the refrigerator or buried somewhere in your crisper. 
And as a last resort, because most of us do own them, I'd never so get one for the money that it takes to run it, but you already own one probably, and that's some sort of freezer, even if it's just the one in your refrigerator. According to one study, you can freeze just about anything, including bread. It's best if you slice it first. Cheese. Yeah, it works. Works pretty well. And even milk and eggs. Best if you scramble the eggs incidentally. But they'll work if you're just going to cook with them without doing that. And finally, is bread will change texture a little bit when you freeze it, but sometimes it's almost, in certain cases, especially I'm going to toast them or make a garlic bread or something, it's almost as good or better. So just remember, if you know you're not going to use it for a few days, pop it in the freezer. You won't believe how much more, well, long-term, how much money you're going to save, short-term, that you're going to have food available that, that if you'll just think about it, is there kind of going all at once. Well, I don't want to go to the store today. It's raining. We've got something in there we can eat almost all the time. Thanks for staying tuned. Organic Matters.